0: Good to See everyone here this morning, and uh, it's, uh, it's a beautiful April day out there. Oh, we're in February around here, <laughs> feels like April. And uh, but anyway, uh, we made a few comments in class, and I actually was not going to do my lesson, I, I decided not to do my lesson. But uh, Reggie made a comment we were talking yesterday, and and, uh, I really appreciate everybody coming out and all the work that's done, but it, it, it was a good lesson from the perspective of just how things creep up and how it grows and how vegetation grows and, and which then us, and we have to get out and clean it out, but it's like sin in our lives. And, and, um, and I made that comment to Reggie and, uh. Reggie popped back real quick and said, yeah, but it's our brethren to help us get out of it. And I thought it was pretty neat. Uh, it would take several days, take several weeks if Brother Herman hadn't brought his tractor, uh, for if one of us had to get out here and do this work. And uh, how in four hours we was able to, to work. And you know, one illustration of that would have been yesterday. Uh, Bub and I was pulling some branches uh, over and uh, full of vines and everything. And and uh, Reggie met us a little ways and, and started pulling, and it got real easy. And that's the way our lives should be, is our brethren should make our lives a little bit easier as we go forward. So a lot of good illustration just today, but uh, do, be mindful of how sin can creep in our lives and how over time we can uh, it's there and we don't realize it. Uh, and that's one reason we have brethren that should be helping us to realize where things are creeping in our lives. I'm going to go back to 1 Peter. And um, actually this is the first time I've ever preached out of 1 Peter. Well, besides you know using some verses here and there, but I've never just gone through 1 Peter like I'm doing this time, just preaching the different passages. And uh, I was dreading this morning's lesson because there's some passages in here I'm not sure I'm going to get it right. Uh, for the reading I've done and, and uh, different things, uh, there's a lot of questions about some of these passages, and uh, I hope I get it right. I don't think there's any doctrinal issues I'm going to get wrong, but there's some things that it's hard to understand sometimes, and uh, and we're going to hit one of those passages in verse 19. Uh, this morning. So starting in verse 13, up until this point we've been, we, uh, most of this third chapter has been talking about, and the last part of the second chapter, is talking about the different human relationships that we have to manage and that we have in our lives. And so in verse 13 he makes a transition here and he talks about people persecuting Christians. And I think the the whole tone here is, is you're going to be persecuted or if you are persecuted count it for good and so let's start off in verse 13 who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good so the point here he's asking a question if, if you're doing right can somebody really harm you now I think it's really talking spiritually here it's not talking about physical. Somebody can harm me with me doing good. They can torture me. They can kill my family. They can do all of those things, but they cannot do the, the greatest harm, which is spiritual harm. I have to allow them to do that. And God can protect me from that. And that's between myself and my God. So, nobody, so he asked the question here, if you're proving zealous, can somebody really harm you? And I think as Christians we should have that hope. Nobody can harm me. They can't take my salvation away. And we're going to talk about salvation here. Verse 14. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Now, He's telling us here, don't fear and don't be troubled because you're suffering for righteousness' sake. Now I think it's interesting that he tells us that. And the reason I think he tells us that is is that something that's easy for us to do? When bad things are happening in our lives, when bad things are happening, do we have do we Turn to our faith to get us through it. And I think this is one of the questions here that we have to answer. Uh, and I want you to think about verse 14 with verse 15. And he says, But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. Do not tr- be troubled. And he says, But sanctify, I'm using the New American Standard, but I actually went to another another version, and I like the word worship here. But worship Christ as Lord in your hearts. So notice that as, as you are suffering, put Christ in your heart. Pay attention to Christ. And he's telling them here in the last part of 15, Always being ready to make a defense of everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence. We'll talk about that the last part there. But think about that. If we're suffering and he's telling us to be ready and he's telling us to sanctify slash worship Christ in our hearts. He's telling us whenever we're suffering are we focused that Christ is our Savior. Do we really believe that? Because if you don't believe that, are you going to get through it? And I think that's what he's telling us here. You've got to really understand your salvation. You've really got to have that faith for you to get through those sufferings. And what's interesting to me about this lesson, it makes sense. Because I see people go through suffering and what do people do? They blame God. They blame God. Why do they do that? Because they didn't do what God, what Paul, what Peter told them to do here in verse 15. You've got to have Christ in your hearts. You've got to be focused there. You've got to know what your hope is about. You've got to grow your faith. And if you don't grow your faith, then guess what? In the day of trials, you're going to blame God or you're going to depend on yourself or you're going to do something different versus paying attention. I have salvation and nobody can hurt me and nobody can take that away from me. And I'm not sure why I have this tribulation. But I know God's going to take me through it. I know God's word is going to take me through it. That's what he's telling us here in verse 15. I've used verse 15 here. You better know what the gospel says and you should be ready to give an account. You know, you should be ready to teach somebody that. That's not what it's saying. It's telling us you better understand your hope. And you should make sure that you understand it so that you can give that defense when somebody asks you. Now remember, this is somebody, he's talking about persecution here. So so go back to verse 13. He's talking about people that are causing you to suffer. What do you do when somebody's causing you problems? What is our natural tendency? You draw back slug them either verbally or sometimes physically and what does he tell here be ready to give an account with gentleness and reverence so you notice whenever we're having tribulations we're having problems the first thing you've got to understand to do this you've got to understand what your hope is what are you really about and whenever you understand that, you're going to look at this and say, I want to give this in a, gentle rever- in, a, in a gentleness with reverence. And this is to someone that's causing you to suffer. And here's the reason. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. You've all met somebody Whenever we do this right, it might be 10 minutes. It might be 10 years. But people come back and realize how you acted. Did you act like the world? Or did you act as Christ would want you to act? And remember, we've got to go back to the cross. How did Christ act when people were causing him to suffer? He didn't fight back. He didn't fight. He didn't call ten legions of angels. He sat there and did it because it was the Lord's will, right? So he understood his hope. Do we understand our hope? And are we going to give a response? So whenever you take a look at these passages, go back to the cross. How did Christ act? So I think that's that's important to note there. Um and keep a good conscience uh, so that those be put to shame. Now verse 17 is drawing a contrast here. For it is better if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. I think he's saying here, you're going to suffer on this earth, and it's good that you suffer for righteousness sake. Because what you ultimately, that's, that's bad, okay? I understand that's bad. But the alternative is for you to be suffering for wrongdoing. In other words, do you want the punishment, physical punishment of man, or do you want the spiritual punishment of God? Now, I can't guarantee you, but I think that's what it's saying here in verse 17. It is rather than for doing what is wrong. If I'm doing something wrong, God's going to punish me. That's going to be everlasting damnation. So is it better to be suffering today for righteousness than to be suffering long-term for unrighteousness? So I think it's very important because that we keep that same thought pattern because this is all about suffering in which he's, he's doing here. Verse eighteen, for Christ also died for the sins once for all now he 's telling us now he 's going back in verse eighteen remember we're suffering. we 're suffering we've got to be ready to give an answer paul Peter's going back, and if I say paul y 'all just know I think mean Peter is for uh verse 18 for Christ also died for the sins once for all the just for the unjust so that he might bring us to God having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit so this is so do we so this is kind of getting back do we have an answer for our hope we're the unjust in this statement here Christ is the just do we understand what Christ did for us? Do we have that hope? Do we really believe that Christ died for us so we can have home in heaven? That's the hope we have. And he's articulating that here. That's the grace that we have. And, and to me, this is this is one of this is one of those important passages here for us to understand as Christians. Especially in these contexts. Because he's telling us this is our hope. Why? So, so let's go back and let's, let's quickly review. Why do I treat my wife the way he tells me to treat her? Why does my wife why does Sandra become in subjection to me? It's because of this passage. It's because, in verse 18, Christ died for our sins. We want to do what he wants us to do. And by me serving my family, by me doing what I'm supposed to do as a Christian, it's it's because of this hope here. Now I think there's a lot of other benefits for that, too. But the whole point here, Christ died for our sins. He died for all of us. That's our hope, and he's going back, and that's why we don't mind suffering, because the just died for the unjust. And the key is, is right here in the last part of verse 18, but made alive in the Spirit. Christ died for our sins, but he overcame death. Do we have that hope that we're going to overcome death? Do we have the hope that we're going to overcome sin? Are we going to have that home in heaven? Are we going to live eternally with Christ? That's the hope we have. That's what's going to get us through suffering. It's not going to be Clay figuring out how not to suffer. It's not going to be me uh, doing all the things. It's definitely not going to be me blaming God. It's going to be me holding to my faith that Christ died for me and that he's overcome and he's been made alive. Now here's verse 19. Uh, This is one of those conversations that I'm not going to tell you I'm going to get it right. But this is a tough passage and if you go start reading uh, it's one of the few times with a bunch of people I read none of them had an answer. They all kind of said, "Well, here's here's what other people say," you, you know, and it's it, you can tell whatever people don't have they can't come up with the answer. They don't want to commit because they can't. They they don't come. And say, in conclusion, this is what I believe. Uh, actually, one writer said, "This is what I think probably the best answer is." He never was uh, conclusive. So, but made. So go back to verse 18. But made alive in the spirit. In which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Who once were disobedient? I jump down also to verse 20. Now notice notice here I read the word proclamation. That is the New American Standard. Uh, Some of your standards would might say preach. Okay? I don't like the word preacher. I like proclamation. What did he go And so, whenever I hear preached, I'm thinking, in our term today, I think of, I'm trying to convert souls. Okay? I don't think that's what he's doing. I think what he's doing is what is stated in verse 22. What he went and proclaimed upon his death is in verse 22. He went and proclaimed I'm going to be sitting at the right hand of God and and uh, having gone into heaven after the angels and authorities and the powers have been subjected to him I think and, I, and this this is one of those areas I, I tell people when I told y'all in Bible class I don't get into a lot of trying to figure out the after death and where, where souls are, are positioned and where they're, if they're being staged and waiting for judgment. But this is the way Peter expresses this that he's going and he's proclaiming to people, the people that were disobedient during the flood. He's proclaiming to them, I think what he's proclaiming to them, I'm the Savior, I'm the one that's delivering, and I've overcome sin. And I'm the one that's leading the faithful to God. I think that's what this passage is saying. Because remember, go back. That fits the context to be ready to give an account of the hope that's in you. Peter's showing Christ, because remember, the people in the Old Testament, even prior to the flood, There was no sacrifice good enough to get them to God. Remember that the scapegoat, they they put the sins on the goat and it went out? You had to have a perfect sacrifice to get rid of the sins. Well, the perfect sacrifice didn't come to Christ. And so Christ has gone to the spirit world in verse 19, and he's proclaiming, I've overcome this sin, and I'm leading the faithful to God. That's what I think that means. Okay. So if you want to debate debate me on that, that one I'll take you up on the debate of the house over a cup of coffee. I won't do it here, but it's this is a complex passage here, and I think that's what he's doing. Because remember, you you still got to go back to what we're talking about here. I don't think he he changed gears. I don't think Peter was talking about suffering and he told you to understand your hope and to stay righteous. And now he's out here talking about the Spirit. What he's showing you is our hope is that Christ has overcome everything. In verse 22, Christ is now in heaven and he's now has everything in his footstool. That's what I think he's trying to tell us. That's the point. Verse 20, verse 20, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. So this is one of those this, so this is this is one of those encouraging things to me I, and this is you know one of the things I think we, we, we sometimes misstep that, that Christ is is uh, I don't think God's a gotcha person. I don't think he's waiting for you to misstep. And saying, not going to save your soul. I think whenever you misstep, I think if you ask for forgiveness and get back and right, you're okay. But this is one of those things of God had patience. A hundred plus years of patience while the ark was being built. Noah was preaching. Noah was trying. God allowed them to be saved. Do you think Noah could have built that ark with God's help a lot quicker? I think he could have. But I think what he's saying here, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. So I think it's an encouraging thing. And it goes back to the hope that we have. Don't, I have a hope that God's going to be patient with us? And I don't think he's a gotcha kind of God. Best I can tell now that doesn't mean he gives me the right to sin as in Romans talks about so well therefore can I go sin since I have an abundance of forgiveness no that's not what he's talking about but we all misstep we all get out of hand but he's going to be patient with us so during the construction so during the construction in which a few that is eight persons were brought safely through the water So God's going to be patient with us. That's part of our hope. That's a part of why we don't mind suffering. That's why we go, because God's going to be patient with us. And then he's still talking about this, know your hope, know, understand. And he goes, and so he's using Noah and how eight people were saved by water. That same water destroyed a bunch of people, right? But that water saved people. And he goes through in verse 21 and we use this passage here we use this passage for baptism we, we, we turn here but I think the passage has much more meaning than what we sometimes give and maybe y'all got it right maybe I'm just the one that's got it wrong all these years but the point is, is I think here he's telling he's still about this hope you're going to suffer make sure you understand your hope and he's explaining the hope to them and the hope is Noah was saved by water and you've been saved by water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. So I think you can still use the passage like I've always used it, but it has so much more power to it is I've been baptized. I'm in Christ. I am, my soul is saved. I just need to be living according to God's will. Do we have that hope, and do we carry that hope with us? Do, are we happy people? So baptism now saves you, not the removal of the dirt of flesh. And we all know, and you know, it's not about the the water. It's about God told us to be baptized, and once I'm baptized, it talks about here but appeal to God for a good conscience. Whenever I'm baptized, I still remember the day I... I I remember the emotions of I need salvation. And y'all, this is funny, but this this was a a young lad in North Florida. The flat there thinking... Every time that sun went down and it got blood red, you know, that beautiful sunset that you have that I love to look at today, I was thinking, wow, is this the last day of God? You know, I remember my thinking is I need to be saved. I need to do this soon. God's going to come and I'm going to be lost. But the day that I was baptized, it was like I'm saved. My conscience is clear. How many of us walk around with things on our conscience that we've done wrong? And the thing is, is we have that hope that we can be forgiven. Now, we might be living with the consequences. probably interesting that our conscience and consequences are close there. I might have to live with consequences of my sin, but I don't have to live with with the conscience that I've, I've done these bad things. I can give that to my Lord and Savior. That's that forgiveness we have. That's the hope we have. And that's what he's telling us here is that that conscience, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because of the forgiveness of my sins, I can have a clear conscience. That is beautiful that is something I can go to sleep with at night. I can look back at Clay's life and say I wish I hadn't done that. But there's things I've done that I've prayed and asked for forgiveness. I can sleep better today. Because I know my hope is that the Lord forgive me of that. And I no longer have to worry about that. That's, that's in my past. I need to be moving forward. So think about that. So baptism saves us. We have that repentance. And we have the resurrection of Christ. And that's our hope that he talks about uh, back in verse 15. And uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. Our walk with our Lord and Savior is not without trouble. But if we have Christ in our hearts if we're living and we're faithfully trying And we have that hope. Do these sufferings, and I'm not going to say that they're they're not painful. We do have sufferings. But if I'm focused on heaven, and I'm focused that God's forgiven me of my sins, doesn't that give me hope? Hope? And that's what's going to get us through all of these things. How are we going to get through our relationships with other people? Whenever we know they're wrong, I know that Sandra's wrong. And guess what? She knows I'm wrong. So how do we get past that impasse? We get past that impasse because Jesus is our Savior and we're going to serve Him. That's the hope. And then we we know we've got to figure this out. And then the older you get, you figure it out it's not really about me. It's really about me serving other people. And if I'm serving somebody else, life gets a lot easier versus serving Clay. So that's the hopelessness. I hope um, you un- I hope I've helped you at least question some things in these verses now, but I think it's all about the suffering. And I think he's going through and saying you are going to suffer, and you better understand what your hope is. And by the way, here's your hope. Christ died for you, you were baptized, your sins are forgiven, and your Savior is living in heaven, and he's waiting on you. Therefore, you can you can bear under these sufferings today. So that's that's the lesson. That's what I think uh, the last part of First Peter the third chapter is bringing to us. This is one of those passages that, that baptism saves us. It actually states that right. Now, is baptism? You know, so I'll make a few comments here just because of worldly teaching today. I want I want to go back and make a few comments here. Uh, Does baptism? You know, people say, "Well, baptism is work, and you're not saved by work." Me going down and being washed with water. Did I, do some, did I do a work there that deserves Christ to die for me? No. I didn't. But it is that baptism that washes away my sins. And this is not a lesson on baptism. It's a lesson on this. But the whole point is, we can go back through the New Testament and we see time and time again people being baptized. And it wasn't that baptism that made them deserve that salvation. But it was the commandment that God gave them. So think about that, too, as, as we, we, we do deal with this. I digress a little bit. But the whole point is baptism, it does say here, baptism now saves you. And it's not the physical part of that. It's not the work of baptism. I, I would even question if baptism is a work. I, I, I always question, how, how can that be a work, you know? Um, I think maybe the person that's baptizing is doing some work, but I reckon maybe me walking down in some water and changing clothes is work. But I don't, I don't think that's work. But it's, it is about remission of sins. So if there's anyone here that needs to obey the gospel, if there's anyone here that needs to uh, have the prayers of the brethren, <laughs> we always leave this part at the end of the service so that we can. uh, I ask people to come forward as we stand and sing. Hear the sweet voice of Jesus say.